It is to be regretted that the rich and powerful too often bend the acts of government to their own selfish purposes. Andrew Jackson, 7th President of the United States of America. everybody and welcome to today's uh, first episode of the second season of this America of America podcast with your host myself Will Milam and today we're going to start talking about Cherokee removal and I thought as a good primer we could talk about the broad-based history of the Cherokee speaking peoples today we're going to focus on largely the anthropological and ethnic origins the language origins and then skip ahead through a lot of oral tradition to European contact from the point of European contact in the 16th century up into probably through the Cherokee-American Wars and hopefully get to uh, the protagonist of our story who is going to be um, a gentleman named Major Ridge, who, if you know anything about this period of history, is a major, major player in whose life we will examine uh we will use as a lens to examine Cherokee removal from. We will begin with the name Cherokee, the title of the peoples of which today in the United States of America constitutes several uh, nations, um, most notably uh, my tribe, the Cherokee Nation in Oklahoma. Of course, there's eastern bands back east and there's a myriad of Cherokee peoples still, but the Cherokee peoples as a whole, the name derives in its own language to mean principal people which makes sense if you think about the the chief executive officer of the Cherokee Nation being the principal chief of the Cherokee Nation of the Cherokee Nation, uh, principal chief of the principal people. There are multiple theories on the origin of the word Cherokee, and some would say that it comes from a Choctaw word that means people who live in the mountains or people who live in cave country. Uh, it's important to note that cave country does not necessarily mean that there was Cherokees who were troglodytes. There's no historical evidence or archaeological evidence that Cherokees ever actually lived in caves. There is little known about the origin of the Cherokees. Um, there are several competing world traditions. Uh, we do know that, of course, that the Cherokees would eventually settle in what is now the southeastern region of the United States of America. Oral traditions also tell that the Cherokees migrated from the Great Lakes region and occupied lands previously inhabited by the older Mississippian cultures, who are uh, peoples more native to areas like Oklahoma. If you listen to season one of this podcast and you remember the scary stories from October, you'll know a little bit about the Spiro Mounds uh, in southeastern Oklahoma, which is um, an artifact from the older Mississippian cultures. But the Great Lakes theory is supported by the fact that the Cherokee language appears to be Iroquoian, which is the language that is native to the Great Lakes region. But uh, Cherokee languages, or excuse me, the Cherokee languages are mostly Iroquoian languages, but there's differences enough in the structure and the vocabulary to suggest that the Cherokee language broke off from the other Iroquoian languages long, long, long ago. 
But the long story short, the important thing to note is that the Cherokee did end up in what is now the southeastern portions of the United States, which is where they would meet European contact. And we're going to jump ahead long, long centuries now because Cherokee history at this point is largely recorded through oral tradition. Um, The Cherokee did not have a written language until Sequoia. So because we're trying to go off of as detailed as accounts as I can, I'm going to go off of the written detailed accounts, which really start with European contact. It is harder to separate European contact with the Cherokees from European contact with the larger context of the European nations that came to what is now the United States and maybe Canada and Mexico and Central America. Uh, But taking out the Spaniards and the Portuguese, it's important to know for our story that the Cherokees' first major contact was with the English. And by uh, parts of the 16th century, the Cherokee would develop trading relationships with the English, largely in what is now today Virginia or South Carolina, or would be at the time the Virginia and South Carolina colonies. And as military conflicts became began to escalate in the United States, or what is now the United States, excuse me, uh, the Cherokee began to ally militarily with the English. So much so, in fact, that in 1730, the Cherokee crowned an emperor who recognized King George II of Britain as the protector of the Cherokees, which I'm going to digress right now and say that if there is a push to have a legitimist claim of the Cherokees to submit to Queen Elizabeth II, um, someone let me know. But anyway, but this would be important because what you would see here would be the first Cherokee delegation to actually go to England and meet uh, the king. And here we are going to look at the life of one of the major Cherokee diplomats at this time, a guy named Atakolakola, which whose name translates means something close to learning wood. But the English called him, and we are going to call him for purposes of simplicity, Little Carpenter. And Little Carpenter would become one of the first Cherokees and first Native Americans or first Indians to travel to England, a part of a delegation with a man named Sir Alexander Cumming. Sir Alexander Cumming was a Scottish lawyer and adventurer. I am a lawyer. I'm not an adventurer. I would like to be an adventurer. Uh, But Sir Alexander was trained as a lawyer and eventually became a captain in the Imperial Russian Army. I would also like to be a captain in the Imperial Russian Army, just not the modern Russian Army. And in 1729, Cumming landed with a team at Charlestown, which is now Charleston, South Carolina. And in April of 1830, uh, Sir Alexander Cumming would return back to England with seven chiefs of the Cherokee Nation, including Little Carpenter. And while on tour in England, Little Carpenter was able to meet Charles II in the Royal Chapel, cha- excuse me, the Royal Chapel at Windsor Castle. And it was there that Little Carpenter and the Cherokee delegation made the agreement with King George II that. England would be the sole trading nation with the Cherokees. This would have mixed results for the Cherokees subsequently. Six years after this meeting in in 1736, Little Carpenter would reject the advantages of the French crown, who had sent emissaries uh, to the Cherokee peoples. And three or four years later, uh, Little Carpenter would actually be captured by the Ottawa, um, the native nation, I think, Ottawa, Canada, 
and Atticolacola would actually be their uh, their prisoner, and he was held captive in Quebec until 1748. And if you know anything about continental American history at this point, Atticolacola, Little Carpenter, gets back in the early 1750s, just in time for the French and Indian War. And the Cherokee, as they were allied with the British, would travel to Pennsylvania frontiers and serve in the British Army. Or probably more accurately, would serve as British allies or allies to the British Army. By all accounts, the Cherokee men served ably and nobly, and that was not the problem. The problem came when the Cherokee came back. If you remember, the Southeastern American states, or what now the American states, are far, far away from the Pennsylvania frontier. So when those Cherokee warriors came back, several were killed by the colony of Virginia's frontiersmen. And after that happened, there was kind of a split in the thinking of the Cherokee leadership, where you had older, more diplomatic warriors like Little Carpenter, who sought to go to Charlestown to seek compensation uh, for their not only their uh, their their assistance in the war, but also um, the loss of some of their kinsmen. Whereas some younger and more bellicose Cherokee warriors wanted blood for blood. And that's exactly what they did. And throughout the late 1750s, those younger, more bellicose Cherokee warriors would launch some raids against the colonial frontiers and kill uh, and pillage some white villages. Now, the older and more experienced Cherokee responded by trying to put an end to this fighting. And in 1759, so right before 1760, uh, the, Cherokee leader, the Cherokee leaders would go to Charlestown in effort to negotiate with the South Carolina authorities and put an end to the fighting. The colonial governor, a guy named William Henry Littleton or Lyttleton, uh, I'm not quite sure how to pronounce his name, uh, did the very intelligent, in quote brackets, thing and seized the delegates as hostages until the Cherokees surrendered those men who were responsible for killing the white settlers. South Carolina would assemble a pretty good expeditionary force of just under 2,000 men and who set out for the Cherokee lands. And of course, Little Carpenter, realizing that he did not have the force to stand up to withstand such a force, signed a humiliating treaty and he agreed to give up the suspected murderers in exchange for those hostages. Now, this became problematic because the Cherokee did not get all of their hostages back their uh, delegation. So Little Carpenter would return to meet with the South Carolina authorities in early 1760 to try to negotiate peace and their release. And after those negotiations failed, another Cherokee leader lured out a lieutenant in the South Carolina uh, militia or the British Army under a white flag of truce. Unfortunately, when the lieutenant left his comfortable, safe quarters to come out and meet with and treat with the Cherokees. Uh, the Cherokee warriors hiding in the woods shot and killed him. Uh, the garrison who had the Cherokee hostages retaliated by executing all the remaining Cherokee hostages. So good job, guys who were trying to negotiate peace there. Well done. You really did your jobs. At this point, 
tensions really erupted. Uh, the Cherokee would launch several offensives against white towns. Uh, Atticola would get the blame, and but he, as being the career diplomat that he was, would continue to try to bring about peace. Peace would not come after many bloody months until 1761, the next year, and would be forced to again sign a fairly humiliating treaty with the Carolinians. But at least the fighting was ostensibly over. Little Carpenter would go on to have a longer career as a diplomat, but those were his major contributions, and he would eventually grow old and die, as do all men. Now, Though Little Carpenter would fade from the distance, there would be another law passed that would be even more important for the future history of the relations between England and subsequently the United States of America and the Cherokee Nation, and this law being the Royal Proclamation of 1763. Now, if you can remember back to your American history, this was a law that came at the end of the French and Indian War after Britain had won the war and had gained vast territorial swaths of land in the United States and what's now Canada or what's now the United States and Canada from the French. And this law forbade settlement by white British colonists trying to go west. And part of the reasoning behind this policy was the protection of Indian lands, which we met with mixed results and would set off a fury of land disputes and political, legal, and eventually warring confrontations between the Cherokee and the English and eventually American settlers. Eventually, there would be some men who would be born into what seemed like destiny to represent the Cherokee's interest in these battles, these men being Major Ridge, John Ridge, Charles Hicks, John Ross, James Van, and the like. And next week, we are going to start on that story looking that actually, I apologize, we're not actually going to be doing that next week. Next week, we're going to be talking about OU football, but in two weeks, we will be starting in on the story of Major Ridge who is going to be our lens through which we examine what will eventually become Cherokee removal. Uh, I hope you have enjoyed this very, very, very quick introduction of the Cherokee-speaking peoples and the quick history of white contact with them before uh, the birth of the United States of America. Um, Again, I tried to do this as quick as possible, uh, really the things that I thought were necessary to tell our larger story. I apologize for everything I left out because believe me, I understand that I have left probably 10 or 12 volumes worth of important history. I hope that one day I can get to it or someone a bit smarter than me can. But I also want to say a special thank you um, to everybody who's back listening to season two. Uh, It's kind of, it's been difficult to regain a lot of the listeners that we had from last season. Obviously taking a lot of time off uh, did not help. Um, especially me choosing the career as a lawyer, which is notoriously difficult for trying to balance time. But every podcast I do, I feel is very rewarding and I'm glad to do it. And it only makes it so much better when you join with me on this journey. Uh, I'm just so glad to be back and I'm so glad that you're back. And as always, um, I'm always available in my personal social media accounts, which is just, they're all my name, Will Milam, William Milam. 
the podcast can be reached at the Chautauqua Review at gmail.com. That is Chautauqua, C-H-A-U-T-A-U-Q-U-A, review at gmail.com. And with that, thanks so much for listening, and I can't wait to talk to you next week about OU football. You have a nice night.